Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nikrita, your host. I'm very happy to be with you again today and thank you for tuning in. We are privileged again to look into the Bible and learn more about the present truth in the book of Deuteronomy, a wonderful book in the Old Testament. It's wonderful to be able to look into the Old Testament and learn from the book of Deuteronomy and apply in our life. I would like to welcome our panel for today. And I would like to say hello to Will. Good to have you with us, Will. Again, a pleasure. Thank you, Nick. And Brenton, very good to have you with us from uh, down south in Mount Gambier. Nice to be here and the sun is shining. That's wonderful. Joe, very good to have you with us. It's great to be here again, Nick. Elijah, thank you for joining. I'm very glad to be part of the Bible study. Praise the Lord for that. Ken, thank you so much for joining us and particularly uh, preparing this Bible study and facilitating for today. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Nick, and hello, listeners. As Len mentioned last week, we are studying the book of Deuteronomy, our second law as suggested by its nature and purpose, the last of the five books of Moses. Deuteronomy not only sets out the history of the previous books, particularly Exodus and Numbers, however, it goes beyond these records in that it both interprets and adapts them. Throughout this book, events are charged with meaning. Moses gives a good deal of history, but in nearly every case, he relates events to spiritual lessons, which they underscore. Basically, just as the children of Israel are about to enter the promised land of Canaan, Moses gives them a history lesson, a lesson no doubt the children had forgotten, a theme that is repeated all through the Bible. Remember what the Lord God has done for you. This message should mean something to us today as we are approaching the soon return of Jesus. According to Matthew 24, the signs that Jesus spoke of are all around us. And Jesus is at the very doors waiting for God to say, it's time. Leecher, would you open in prayer for us? Glorious Father in heaven, we are coming here before you with humbleness in our hearts, to thank you so much for this opportunity to come again and sit at your feet to be taught by you. Father, thank you so much that you are the Redeemer, the Provider, the Sustainer of us. And as we study today, the Moses history lesson, Father, help us to know you more, that you are the one who remembers and gives hope, the God who gives and takes, the God who fights for us and fulfills his words, the God of grace and justice, the God of everything in everything. Father, thank you so much that we have you as a great father, the Lord of the Lords and the King of Kings, and our closest and dearest father. Thank you for the adoption of us, Father. Please be with us today and bless every one of us and teach us, Father, through your Holy Spirit, your holy words to be on our lips and out there for those people who don't know you. Father, we thank you for everything and we love you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Leitcha. I'm going to start off. Will... Why should we regard the historical account given by Moses 
as an inspired history lesson. Can you use the word inspired history? I think the operative word about biblical account or the historical writings of Moses were indeed the inspiration of prophecy. Not many people regard Moses as the prophet, as a prophet, but the Bible speaks for itself in this regard. In um, Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 and 18, it's Moses speaking. He says, The Lord thy God will bring up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me. Unto him he shall hearken. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee. I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. You know, Amos 3 verse 7 says that surely the Lord God reveals nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. You know, prophets don't only predict or prophesy. The Lord uses these inspired individuals to bring assurance and comfort to the people. A good illustration of this are the words uh, of the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 49, verses 9 and 10. Say to the captives, come out, and to those in darkness, be free. They will feed beside the roads and uh, find pasture on every barren hill. They will neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat down on them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. And so I think, Ken, in answer to your question, how do we regard the historical the historical account given by Moses? I see him as inspiration, but as a prophet of God. Thank you, Will. I always love that scripture of Amos in 3, 7. The Lord does nothing unless he reveals it unto his servants. Brenton, you want something to add to that? Yes, it's interesting, Ken, uh, what Will has read, because this particular text was a text that the Jews all knew well. When they went into the promised land in the very near future, Joshua became their leader. And some of them thought that Joshua was like Moses. But I want you to think for a minute about Moses' relationship with God. God himself said that I talk with him as to a man face to face. Joshua didn't have exactly the same uh, relationship with God as Moses did, despite the fact that he was led by God. Uh, I believe this was fulfilled in the New Testament when Jesus Christ came. He was the fulfillment of of, um, Deuteronomy 18, verse 15 to 18. And isn't it interesting that the woman at the well, a Samaritan, a heathen, as far as the Jews were concerned, recognized him and accepted him as the Messiah when he said, I who speak to thee am he. Thank you, Brenton. Joe, even though Moses wrote the book of Genesis, his name is not mentioned in it. Where is he first mentioned in the Bible? That's a very good question. We know that Jesus often quoted from the Pentateuch and uses Moses' name in the same context. We also know that Moses certainly spoke of Jesus, and a good example was the one that Will used, the Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee among many. But he first appears in Exodus chapter 2, and he is mentioned, or he's not mentioned, until the very events surrounding his birth. 
uh, where the pharaoh, the current pharaoh of the time of e- in Egypt, had given instruction for all male babies to be thrown into the Nile and all female babies were spared. The idea being that he would put a control on their numbers. Now, his advisors felt that if Egypt were attacked by a foreign power, that the slaves could end up fighting for the invader. And we know this was not his first attempt at curbing their numbers. God was blessing them, and it was evident and was seen as a potential threat. So there's there's a, a quite a beautiful story in Exodus chapter 2, which is well worth reading, where Moses is actually hidden and saved uh, from spies and from being thrown into the river and he is i think everybody knows even those who aren't well versed in the bible about a baby that's put into a basket and set afloat among the reeds and is discovered by a beautiful egyptian princess who then adopts him as her son so it's a beautiful story in itself and a miracle a miracle that god performed as he had selected moses to lead his people nick We've just heard that Moses was a special person in so much that he spoke with God. But what sort of person was Moses and what was his character like? Was he strong and fearless, a great warrior and leader, someone that people would look up to? I can, uh, first of all, I would like to say that uh, I believe Moses was um, kind of a person or, or, or a character like you and me and maybe, maybe many others. With all the highs and lows, with all the um, shortcomings, he was also under the sin influence. He was like us, a sinner. But as was mentioned again in God's plan, Moses was um, chosen right from uh, when he was a baby because uh, God protected him, saved him. And through the Pharaoh's daughter, as the story goes, he was uh, rescued, you know, when that horrible decree was to kill all the the babies in Egypt. But uh, he grew up in a very good environment. I mean, from an educational point of view, in Egypt at that time, the culture was one of the highest one, probably. But he was a normal man with feelings, with uh, all those things. Obviously, he was a good warrior, I will say, because he was trained for that. I believe he was even uh, trained to be the the leader of the army in uh, Egypt. But I would like to bring your attention to some passages in the Bible. And in Exodus, for example, chapter 2, which uh, um, Joe just mentioned, This is a long passage, but if we just look, uh, even in your own time, anyone uh, who's listening there or uh, ourselves, we can go back to chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. This is describing a little bit of a situation, what happens there. And I will just read a few verses here. Now, it comes to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out to his brethren and looked at their Burdens. Now, just keep in mind that at this time, the Israelites, God's people, they were uh, under great oppression and uh, they were slaves in Egypt. And Moses learned somehow that he's part of those people, even though he grew up at the, uh, the palace there. And it says here, he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way. 
And when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Now, obviously, after this, you may just say about Moses that he was a, a murderer. And he was a murderer. He killed somebody. And he had to flee from there. He had to run away uh, from the palace, from the country, to save his life. Now, he went and he spent 40 years in the wilderness. And the story goes then how he came across somebody and he was uh, starting to be a, a servant, if you like, in a foreign land. But he was walking with God. I think he had a very good foundation in terms of uh, upbringing. Because again, if you look into the story, his mother maybe was able to look after him when he was small, you know, and uh, teach him a few things. And he was definitely contemplating on God and what he has done. We can say lots of things to excuse his action. But uh, what I would like to look in verse, in chapter 4, And verses 10 to 18, when God is calling Moses back to, to go to, to Egypt and to rescue his brethren, his uh, people in Egypt. And Moses is refusing to go because, uh, and he came with excuses that he is not a good talker, you know, his uh, speech is not eloquent, is not good. And what I would like to pick up on uh, one of the verses here, when uh, he used all sorts of excuses that God said, God got angry with him a bit, you know, because he said, hey, I'm not good. I'm, I don't have a good speech. And says, come on, don't you have your uh, brother Aaron over there? And he will speak for you. And the story goes uh, uh, how God is, um, is uh, charging him, you know, to, to go and do the will of God. One Little thing I would like to mention here, it's maybe not coincidental that Moses was spending 40 years mm -hmm. in the wilderness because we'll come across with these things 40 years, you know, maybe even later on when we'll, uh, we'll learn how these people were uh, to whom he was sent to rescue them or to, to bring them up out from Egypt. He spent 40 years in the wilderness in, instead of what God's plan was to spend a, a bit less than that. But, you know, to cut it short uh, here, Ken, I believe Moses was a normal person like you and me. And we have a special call from God also to go. You know, the Great Commission in Matthew 28, it says, go and uh, preach and teach. We should answer God's call and not find all sorts of excuses. Thank you, Nick. That was a, a good story about Moses. Brenton, you have something to add? Yeah, just a, a quick one, Ken, on uh, the relationship of Moses to the people. In the first 40 years of his life, if, he, if God had told him at year 40 to go and lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, it probably would have been military style because he had been trained as a military man. He spends 40 years in the wilderness looking after sheep. Now, sheep, as you know, are totally dependent. They are the most helpless of animals. They rely on you to find them feed. They rely on you to find them water. They rely on you to find them protection. And Moses had to go through this experience, this school, if you will, uh, the school of Midian. I think he graduated with a doctorate at the end of it. And uh, God said to him, now you're ready. Now you're ready to uh, lead the children of Israel. And he said, no, I'm not. 
And it was exactly at that point when he began to recognize his inadequacies that God was able to use him. I think the story of the children of Israel too often is taught as just a history lesson of God's marvelous leadings. But if you delve into it deeper, you come to certain conclusions. And one of the major conclusions is God's amazing love and care and protection for his children. And Moses exemplified that. But he had to learn that lesson first in the wilderness of Midian before he could give them the care, the love and the protection that they needed. And God knew that. Don't we serve a wonderful God? Because he can do the same thing for us today. He wants us to have the same care and love and protection for one another. Numbers 12 verse 3 says that Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. So God can certainly use uh, the ordinary everyday man and woman to do great things for him. Yeah, well, that's a really important point. Sometimes people believe that to go out and uh, speak to others about uh, Christianity and Jesus, you have to be someone special. But the more no, we I... look through the Bible, the more we see that it's really, really humble people. Just uh, as Nick was saying a few moments ago, really just everyday people like ourselves. Brenton, what is the significance of the story that Moses shared with the people found in the book of Deuteronomy on the 11th month of the 40th year? Well, basically it's found in two areas, um, Deuteronomy 1, verses 1 to 8, which is the first verses of the book, and secondarily in Numbers 14, verse 26 to verse 34, Probably for uh, um, brevity's sake, I will um, synopsize this and try and um, reduce it a little bit. God is saying to Moses in verse 1, these are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel, and he goes on to talk about um, where they've journeyed, what the day and the date is now, and um, he talks about how they killed Sion, king of the Amorites, Og, the king of Bashan, Then we come to some important verses, verse 5 and 6. I'm going to read those. On this side of the Jordan in the land of Moab, Moses began to explain this law, saying, The Lord our God spoke to us in Horeb, saying, You have dwelt long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey and go to the mountains of the Amorites, to the neighbouring places in the plain. Then I'm dropping down again. See? I have set the land before you to go in and possess the land, which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them and their descendants after them. What he's doing is he's reciting history to them. Remember, he's talking to people, with the exception of Caleb and Joshua, who are the next generation. We don't know whether the Levites are included in this group, along with Caleb and Joshua, but the only ones the Bible actually reveals of the original group who left Egypt that are left to go into the promised land of Caleb and Joshua. So Moses is reminding them of the sins of their fathers, and he talks in Numbers 14, 26 to 34. I particularly made note of verse 28. He says to them, because you complained and said it would be better of us to die in Egypt or better of us to die in the wilderness, I am going to give you what you asked for. You know, Ken, we have a saying, be careful what you ask for. (laughs) He's saying to them, okay, if you really felt that it would be better for you 
to die in the wilderness rather than go into the promised land, I will grant your wish. And as you know, everyone from the age of 20 and upwards died in the wilderness, apart from Caleb and Joshua. So the purpose of the history lesson was not just history, it was to remind them that they could have gone in 40 years before and to remind the current generation as to why their fathers didn't go in and to encourage them to go in now and take possession of the land. I believe the God, the way God deals with us, he deals with us according to our understanding. The people would have understood what he's saying to them here. And they also would have recognized that he gave their fathers their wish. They did die in the wilderness. So therefore, trust the Lord, believe in him and go into the land that he's going to possess. The message for us today in 2021 is God is waiting for us to say, yes, Lord, we want to go into the promised land and uh, he will fulfill his part of the deal if we are serious about wanting to enter the promised land with him. Thank you, Brenton. I think, again, that's a theme that we see throughout the whole Bible, that always God fulfills his part of the bargain, but yes. we, as, as mankind on our side, usually don't fulfill it, and we miss out on so many things, which is very, very sad. Well, how did the people survive in the wilderness for 40 years where there was no food, no water, but many dangerous creatures? Ken, I think that uh, we can soon realize that uh, we all forget blessings that God gives us. We're inclined to um, not always recognize what he does for us from day to day. You know, I love the um, words of Deuteronomy 8, verses 11 to 16. God talking to his people. And he's saying, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you today. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land, with all its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You know, God blessed them in the wilderness, uh, not only with food and drink, but in numerical growth as well. Yes. Um, Deuteronomy 1, verses 10 and 11 says that the Lord your God has increased your numbers so that today you are as numerous as the stars in the sky. May the Lord, the God of your ancestors, increase you a thousand times and bless you as he has promised. So not only does he provide water, food, and guidance and numerical growth, he blesses them with a wide counsel or a wise counsel administratively as well. We all remember how Moses, through the inspiration of God, 
organized them into tribes and into groups of thousands and hundreds and of fifties and tens as tribal officials. This is all spelled out in Deuteronomy 1. The most important thing of all, especially for us today, is the fact that God looks after us. The the Bible tells us in Deuteronomy 29, verse 5, Yet the Lord says, During the forty years that I led you through the wilderness, your clothes did not wear out, nor did the sandals on your feet. That's quite amazing. I recall how um, Joe was mentioning as well that their feet didn't even swell in a previous lesson. God is good, and he certainly leads. Yes. Wow, that's uh, quite an amazing story there. Well, was there some lessons that God wanted to learn during their time in the wilderness? And is there a lesson here for God's people today? Well, um, we we mentioned the uh, feet not swelling and so on. You know, Jesus says in Matthew 10, verse 29, he said, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I think here's the lesson for us to learn. God not only cares for his people in the wilderness and of yesteryear, he's present and loving today, just as before, to guide, sustain, and help us and uh, make us prosperous, at least spiritually. Joe, the people failed to enter the promised land when God first spoke to them about it. Was this God's fault? What went wrong and what were the results? Well, Ken, Israel continually displayed um, an attitude of complaining and grumbling and they were testing God's and Moses' patience. Now, some examples, every time they hit a hiccup, it was things like, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out in the desert to die? You know, what have you done by bringing us out? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. This is right at the very beginning. And, every, you know, when they ran out of water, when they ran out of food, you know, we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Such drama. Now, I don't, uh, I feel that God was very displeased with their unbelief. Um, they obviously had a lot of growing to do, and it wasn't God's fault as such. Um, he could only lead the people as they were able and willing to follow. Um, We know that the situation itself got to a climax, I think Brenton referred to it, when the spies returned from spying out the land and they were given the report and, again, you know, they were overwhelmed. And if I might just say, this is what they said, then all the people cried out with a loud voice and they cried that night. So they spent the night crying and howling in their tents. All the people of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron and said to them, again, if only we had died in the land of Egypt or if only we we had died in this desert, why is the Lord bringing us into this land to be killed by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will be taken away. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? 
So they said to one another, let us choose a leader and return to Egypt. Now we have mutiny here. They've got to the situation where they're saying, right, we've lost confidence in Moses. We've lost confidence in God. And um, we're going to choose a leader to take us back. We're going back to where we've come from. You know, they remembered Egypt with a certain amount of fondness. Now, as Brenton also mentioned, they did actually get what they asked for. That was God's response. And, you know, sometimes we feel that, well, I suppose I should backtrack a bit, the only two people of the original cohort that managed to get to the present, the promised land, was Joshua and Caleb. Now, sometimes we feel that Israel should have been more faithful, more trusting, more believing. They and we too can fail, as Will has said already, fail to trust the Lord. So I guess in a sense, no, it wasn't God's fault. Was it the people's fault? I guess the jury's out on that one. Each one has to answer that in their own hearts um, because we too are like them. Nick, you have something to add? Yes, Ken. I would like to mention here now that, uh, you know, I, I said a bit earlier that we look in the book of Deuteronomy and even learn some of the things which are, let's co- say, called present. Truth. How can we apply that in our life today? All the experience they have in the wilderness, I mean, coming out of Egypt under, under the slavery, they were in Egypt there and they felt somehow secure there with whatever they had a little bit there. And they were complaining when they were in wilderness that they rather be back in Egypt with few cu- cucumbers there and whatever else uh, they mentioned. Is that not a lesson for us all today that we don't trust in the leadership of God, in the guidance of God through whatever we're going through in these days? And we are always looking back and crying for the security which we had before. Now I can tell you that with the things going on in this world, we may need to trust fully in God and not to relay on any sort of security, because God will be the only one to lead us, to guide us, and to give people for our sake, because that's what uh, we are going to see a little bit more, uh, even in the teachings uh, of the Bible, what that means, that God really treasure his people. And if we choose to follow him, if we choose to do his will, we should fear nothing. We should be fully committed for God and allow him to take care of us in his own way, not as we think it's best, not crying out all the time for the things which we want for ourselves, but for the things which God knows that's best for us. And you know how the saying goes, that we usually we crying out for the things which we want, but God wants to provide us with the things which we need. And I believe this is a very important lesson for us to take. Yes, Nick, I think that's a very, very important thing, especially in the times we live in. Leecher, why was Joshua and Caleb allowed to enter the promised land while the rest of the people were not? during the rebellion at Kadesh Barina? Well, when they reached the promised land, um, God advised them 
to choose one person from each tribe, it means 12 people, to go as explorers, to explore the land. And they went. One of them uh, was Caleb, and the other one was Joshua. And when they returned, they give different opinions about the land. Most of the people who heard the outcome um, of the land, they were scared and afraid. But Joshua and Caleb, they trusted in the Lord. And um, actually, Caleb said in Numbers 13, verse 30, he, he said, it says that Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possessions of the land for we can certainly do it. And Joshua, on the other hand, he said, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Caleb and um, Joshua, they were allowed to enter into the land because they trusted the Lord fully. They trusted God. They didn't inquire. They, uh, their trust in God was a hundred percent fully. So because of that, they enter the land. It's a, a fascinating story that I think uh, everyone today generally, we all have a memory problem. And that problem is forgetting God and forgetting what he has done for us when difficult times come ahead. Nick, what lesson can we learn from the interaction between Moses and Shion, king of Hezborn, from this story? And that's, again, a very interesting uh, lesson here, because in, if you look in, uh, in the book of uh, Deuteronomy chapter 2, and uh, I will say from verses 26, but I would like to just read something a bit earlier. Let's say maybe uh, from um, verse 24, because this is where God is speaking. He says, rise, take your journey and cross over the river Arnon. Look, I have given into your hand Sihon and the Amorites, the king of Hezbron and his land. Begin to possess it and engage him in the battle. This day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you upon the nations under the whole heaven and shall hear the report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. This is very interesting what God was telling them. But from verse 26, Moses is approaching a bit differently. And it says here, and I send messengers from the wilderness to the king of Hezbron with words of peace, saying, let me pass through your land, and I will keep strictly to the road, and I will turn neither to the right nor to the left. You shall sell me food for money that I may eat and give me water for money that I may drink. Only let me pass through on foot. And he gave uh, the example of the people before 
uh, where Moses had an experience uh, and then talk about how other people uh, did that. But obviously, God had a different plan. And this is, again, how we humans think. We think that we have a better plan that God has. And we always like to put that in practice, our own plan. We'll, we'll uh, reason, we'll, we'll do things. And I must say this, that today in Christendom, in, in churches, we take certain decisions because we think that's the, it's a better one. We sometimes forget what the Bible teaches us because it may not be convenient for us for some reasons. We may think that we should approach people in different way that they may be even will have more success even to teach them the principles which God taught us. I like to stress out here that we should relay on what God says because God knows why he says in that way. And obviously the, um, the situation was that uh, Moses was not able to, to pass that land uh, in peace. You know, they, they had to, to have that war, which God was talking about. And, but God was with them because God, what God promises, he keeps his promises. And uh, they were able to defeat these people. And uh, the story goes that, um, the relationship, you know, with uh, with the king of Hezbron was as God foresaw that. And uh, they were destroyed and, yeah, they took uh, possession of that land. But again, God said that all the nation around them, they will see how God is leading them. And again, the question is for us today, are people around us, seeing the same thing, that God is leading his people? Or they are discouraged looking at the Christians and say all sorts of things when they see the bad things which they do. I hope that we are not those ones to be criticized or to be uh, looked down. We should, look, we, we should be looked up and people to say, oh, these are the people who serve a living God. That's uh, some good points there, Nick. Uh, I think one of the challenges we face today is that for those of us who live in the Western world, we are really very well blessed. The majority of us, we're exceedingly blessed and we have lots and lots of things. I noticed when I lived in Central America for a while that uh, the churches over there, all of the churches, and by the way, they're not all Roman Catholics, far from it, they were absolutely packed and many of the churches had three sessions a day, including the Adventist church. And they're absolutely, if you didn't get there half an hour before it opened, you wouldn't get a seat. Yeah. And the people over there, very, very poor people, but they had a beautiful nature. And I have found personally myself, wherever I've traveled around the world, that often those who have the least trust more in God where those of us who have lots of things, we trust God in little things, but when something major comes along, we, we tend, I think, to not trust him as much as we should. And I think there's a lesson there that we should think about in that one. Brenton, how do we as Christians explain God's instructions to the Israelites as recorded here in Deuteronomy? I think this is a, a pretty tricky one and a heavy one, and perhaps you could give us some insight into this. 
very kind of you again to give me this one to do. <laughs> Following on from what um, Nick read to us in Chapter 2, we found in Chapter 2 that Moses originally intended to pass through the territory of Sion, uh, king of um, whatever it was, Hezbon, um, peacefully. They didn't intend to take anything. They just det- intended to pass through on their way to the promised land. When you come to chapter three, the history lesson continues. This time we're dealing with old king of Bashan. And when you look at the size of this guy's bed, it, it mentions his bed was 13 feet long by five feet wide. He must have been a fairly decent sized guy, I think. But in answer to your question as to how do we look at this, the simple answer is we are not God. We cannot understand the ways of God. God says very clearly that my thoughts are higher than the heavens. My thoughts are than your thoughts or your ways than my ways. However, I believe God has given us some clues. And I just want to share, um, Ken, a couple of those clues with you. If you backtrack to the time that they were in Egypt and God was in the process of delivering them, if I was to read Exodus 8, 8 for you, you remember there were 10 plagues. The first plague was blood. The second plague was frogs. Now, it's interesting that uh, Pharaoh makes a comment in Exodus 8, verse 8, and he says, entreat the Lord your God for me that he takes away the frogs and I will let you go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now, we all know that there were 10 plagues. Here, very early in the piece, Pharaoh has an opportunity to surrender his heart and his life to the Most High God. This is plague number two. He could have said, if he had really been honest, and at the end of that plague, when God took away the frogs, the children of Israel had gone, as he promised that they would. But, of course, we know that he broke his promise. He wouldn't let them go. And the story went on and on and on. Um, When you look at the situation of these people in Canaan, God said a long time ago the sin of the Amorites is not yet full. And some 400 years had passed since God made that comment. God is, above all things, a merciful God. He is a loving God. He's merciful in the sense that he gives people every opportunity, I believe, to accept him. Did the inhabitants of Canaan know about the true God? Did they have any knowledge of what the true God was capable of? The answer to both those questions is yes, they did. Because we find very soon, um, Ken, when they go into the promised land, and they surround Jericho, Rahab tells them that we know what God did to the Egyptians in the Red Sea. We know how God protected you during the time that you were going through um, the wilderness. And she also recounts, we know what you did to Sion, king of Hezbon, and Og, king of Bashan. She recounts all these things. So In summarising, is God being unjust here in allowing Israel to destroy these people? You've got to take into account the fact that these people were fully aware of not only the power of the true God, but of the mercifulness of God in protecting his people and leading them all the way through. I believe they had an opportunity to accept the true God, 
because Rahab did. And it's interesting that Rahab was actually incorporated into the line of Christ. When you read in Matthew about the lineage of Christ, Rahab is one of four women that is mentioned in the lineage of Christ. And Rahab was a heathen who had come to know the true God. So any time you look at this and um, start to think of it in the from the point of view of is this genocide, was it lawful, why did God allow Israel to destroy all these people, you have to take into account all those factors. I believe God is love, he's merciful, he's also a God of justice, and he knows what he's doing. I trust him completely. I trust him that his timing in everything is perfect. And I believe that we can only adequately answer this question by saying God knows what he's doing. He, If we read the scriptures with a desire to know how much time, how much probation God has given various groups, peoples, cities, nations, you'll find that God bears with them a long, 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 long time. He gives them ample opportunities to see his love and his benevolence and accept him. And if they choose not to, I have to come back to what he said to them in Numbers 14, 24, 28. He said, um, you complained. You said it would be better of us to die in the wilderness than go into the promised land. Okay, I'll give you your wish. You can die in the, um, in the wilderness. Unfortunately, at the end of time, we believe the Bible teaches at the end of time when sin and sinners are destroyed, it will be because of their own choices not because God did not want them in heaven. He makes the comment very clear in Second Peter 3, verse 9, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Every time you discuss this subject, I think you have to look at it through the prism of that statement. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I, I think that's the best I can do, Ken, <laughs> in explaining this, because one day in heaven I want to ask God some of these questions, <laughs> and I'm sure there are other people who do as well. Nick, you want to add something? Yes, I think we're dealing with a very sensitive issue here, and, um, yeah, people can have different views, but uh, I would like to just uh, say that uh, by no means, you know, we are supporting uh, any violence, you know, in the world. And, and just a, a very interesting um, news, just as as we uh, talk today, uh, we may just heard that, that down here in South Australia, going through this COVID situation, you know, a lady was uh, uh, doing maybe not the right thing, you know, and uh, she came from Melbourne to South Australia and um, she had COVID and People are enraged with that. And we saw on the news that people uh, set on fire her car. Now, is that justified? No, by no means. You know, we are not called to do anything like that. And we are not supporting any sort of... But I must say something here, and very carefully, and we mentioned a few times that we choose sometime how our destiny is, you know. And that could be for destruction, could be for uh, uh, salvation, could be for destruction. But, you know, I'd like to mention here something, and I hope people will not take this wrongly. When Jesus was uh, condemned, and when somebody who was not part of God's people tried to save him, 
His people, the Israelites, they cry out, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate, if you remember those words, says, but I haven't found anything wrong with him. And they said, let his blood fall on us and on our children. Was that not something they asked for? But we should be careful on what we are saying and how we are relating to God's plan. Because God has the power to give life and to take life. God can do whatever he wants. He's the creator and sustainer of all things. We are only humans. And some people may be upset, probably even with what I said, but kindly I like to ask that I don't support any sort of violence in this world. It's not our part to do that. Let the judgment be of God, not of ours, men. Well, are Christians today, how are we to deal with other people that are not very nice and can do us harm? Has anything changed in the Bible? I think the safest thing for me, Ken, is to take my cue from Jesus and how to conduct myself through life. You know, he said, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be the children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Ken and panel and listener, it seems clear to me that our part as humans is to exercise patience and forgiveness. We are not called to mete out vengeance because that is solely the prerogative of God. Yes. Puny man dares sometimes to conjecture on or prescribe what God should or shouldn't do or require him to act in accordance with our reasoning or determining this way or that on very complex matters. We need to be reminded that his understanding is insight and ways are completely profound and far beyond our reason. Unlike us, he sees clearly from cause to effect. Like Brenton said, I am willing to wait. He will make the hard things plain. If he is love itself, then there is no darkness in him. The Bible explains that his ways are past finding out. You know, Job 11, verse 7 to 9, Job asks the question, Can you search out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than the heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. You know, as creator of all things, he is both infinite and sovereign. The ways of God are are mysterious and profound. Since we will never completely understand divinity, we must uh, might as well relax with the unsettling questions in our minds. 
The Bible says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, my favorite little book, the devotional book, Steps to Christ, that we have uh, recommended on this program, Nick, Mm -hmm. speaks directly on this matter. It says, it is impossible for our finite minds fully to comprehend the character of and the works of the infinite one. To the keenest intellect, the most highly educated mind, that holy being must ever remain clothed in mystery. Yes. You know, panel and listener, Very true. There, is an even, there is even more to challenge our thoughts. The quote goes on to say, the word of God, like the character of its divine author, presents mysteries that can never be fully comprehended by finite beings. The entrance of sin, for example, into the world, or the incarnation of Christ. What about regeneration? What about the resurrection? And many of the other subjects presented in the Bible that remain complete mysteries too deep for the human mind to explain or even to fully comprehend. All I can say is that God invites everyone to know that he is indeed a loving God with an invitation to life eternal. He has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He has already emptied the heaven of the gift of his son to assure us that his plans for us are plans of peace and the assurance that he will He will urge us to accept life eternal in the place that he has prepared for us. That's enough proof for me. I won't conjecture about the the thoughts of God. It's holy ground, a place where I should take my feet off because I will never understand. But I'm satisfied with the fact that Jesus sets the example of loving kindness and invitation every one of us as sinners. Thank you. Well, listeners, we've come to the end of another study, and I think that was an excellent time for to finish this one on. Some wonderful information there. Joe, would you like to do the closing prayer for us? Father, we pray that you'll give us believing hearts, not hardened to your word. Help us to treasure and hang on to you and not disappoint with unbelief or rebellion against you. Yes. Thank you that you are a merciful and loving God, entirely worthy of our faith and trust in you always. Forgive us when we go astray or lack faith. Hold our hand and teach us your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Joe. The Bible still has many things which God in his wisdom has not told us. I'm sure many of us from time to time ponder over a passage of scripture We have read and wonder about why God told the people to do certain things. I believe when we get to heaven, all our questions will be answered, and we will see that the action God took was the best way for mankind. What is important to understand is that God loves us and wants the best for us, but we have to play our part. We must take on the character of Jesus and love all. Thank you, everyone, for uh, your participation today, for uh, um, this uh, wonderful time to look into the Bible and learn uh, some of the things which uh, 
sometimes it's difficult to grasp and to understand because we have different uh, uh, interpretation or understanding, particularly when, when we deal with a lots of uh, violence in the Bible and in the Old Testament. But we are inviting you to join us again when we are going to talk uh, a little bit more from the book of uh, Deuteronomy. And this time we are going to talk about the, the everlasting covenant. I believe it will be a wonderful uh, study. Please join us again next time. Until then, may God richly bless you and have a wonderful walk with God, with our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you.